This week as I come back to teach, we continue in the Sermon on the Mount. But we're in a point of transition in the sermon. We just finished chapter 5 uh, last week. And then this week we'll start with chapter 6. And so just a brief, brief review. Chapter 5, remember we started with our identity as members in the kingdom. Like this is our culture. We're to have this kingdom culture. And remember Matt said the one time, these are the be attitudes. This is what we are. Okay, it's not what we're to do. They're not the do attitudes. They're the be attitudes. And realizing that that is our identity, then we moved into the second part of chapter 5 and we talked about relationships. If you guys realize every sermon the last several weeks as we finished chapter 5, it was always this way that we perceive or this way we respond or this way we act towards this other individual. It's all about others. It's all about relationship. And so that's where Jesus started off. And as we transfer from those, or transition from those relationships, now we're going to move into some of the practices. So if we have this righteousness that's in Christ, that's our identity, what's going to be the resulting practices? What's going to be the resulting things that we do? And so the first part of chapter 6 is about that. And I want to give you guys just a brief overview of that. Because if you look, Jesus is going to preach about, talk about three different things, three different practices. He's going to talk about in 6.2, giving. He's going to talk about in verse 5, praying. And then he's going to talk about in verse 16, fasting. And so I want, to see, want you guys to see these three things, because that's what we're going to be processing through. Today is going to be focused on giving, but let me just give you an overview of this section of chapter 6. So verse 2. Thus when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. So that section is about giving. And then after that, in verse 5, he moves on to prayer. Let me read that verse that starts that section. You guys are going to start to hear things repeat and start to hear the same thing. Verse 5, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. And then after prayer, in the third section, he moves on to fasting. Verse 16. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. So I wanted you guys to see those three things, because those are the three practices we're going to be talking about. This practice of giving, this practice of praying, and this practice of fasting over the next several weeks. But before that, in verse 1, he gives this overview. So considering those three things, I want you to hear verse 1. It says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before others in order to be seen by them. So he's saying, beware of giving, beware in your praying, beware in your fasting. He's saying, take caution, be, be on alert as you do these things. You need to be thinking through them. It's not just something you pass through and you don't give it any thought. He says, be alert, beware. But I want to be clear that he's not saying, beware of actually doing these things. Don't, don't, don't be, be aware of, of doing them. 
And he's not even saying beware of doing them before others. Because that would actually contradict what Jesus taught in chapter 5 when he said, you need to let your light shine before others. That we would actually love on others right before them. That our good deeds would be visible for all to see. That's what he told us in chapter 5. And so he's not saying beware doing these things right before others. But he's saying, beware of doing these things in front of others. And here's the key verse or the key words. In order to. It's not that we do them. It's not that it's before others. But it's, what's the in order to? And he says, in order to be, you can see in the passage, to be seen by others. And so what is our in order to? As you think about walking the Christian life, as you think about following Jesus Christ, what is my in order to? So why am I doing that? When you came to service today, what was it in order to? What was your motivation? When you give an offering, what's your in order to? When you help with tutoring on Saturday mornings, what's your in order to? When you meet in discipleship, why? When you serve during La Luz, or if you're going to come to this next meeting and we're going to serve this neighborhood through La Luz, what's it in order to? When we take communion, when we prepare a dish for the Lord's Supper, and most importantly, when you try not to fall asleep during a sermon, what's it in order to? What's the motivation? What's the motivation behind that? Because in every example in chapter 6, as you guys heard that as I read through the different sections, Jesus warns us it's in order that we would not be like the hypocrites. It's in every passage. It's in every example. That we would not be like the hypocrites. That we would not have this outward appearance that looks one way while inside our motivation is completely different. In other places, Jesus tells us, beware of the hypocrites. Watch out of those people. But here he's telling us, beware of becoming like the hypocrites. It's a different warning for us to take. And as I was thinking through this, are we really in danger of becoming like hypocrites? I mean, there are, there are no Pharisees that I know. Are, I've seen no Pharisees in Lanark Park. It's 2,000 years later. Is what Jesus is talking about actually applicable? And so I want to share with you guys a study. It's a Barna study in 2007. The result of this study, they wrote a book called Unchristian. And it was a survey where they went and asked non-believers that were 16 to 29 years old, young non-believers, non-Christians, and they said, what is your perspective of Christians? And I want to show you guys, what do you think might be the number one most common perspective that the world has, especially the young, 16 to 29, would have of Christians? How would they describe us? Anybody? Judging? Judging? Hypocrites? That's two of the three. I got, I got three I'm going to share with you. You guys are good. Listen, if we, we could go play Family Feud and we would do well, okay? I wish I had, I wish I had the board to flip. No. What's that? Self-righteous? 
It's actually the number one. Okay, let me show you guys. The number one common perspective that non-believers have about the church or have about Christians is they're anti-homosexual. That's the number one most common perspective that the world has of us. And when that says anti-homosexual, it's not that we believe that homosexuality is wrong. It's that we have a disdain. I will not have a relationship with a homosexual person. I won't interact. I won't have a friendship. I won't... That's what it's saying. That's the number one. Number two, judgmental. 87% of those questioned, that was a common perspective of Christians. They're judgmental. And now number three, hypocritical. I mean, that is quite a trifecta. We're anti-homosexual, we're judgmental, and we're hypocritical. That's the perspective that the world has of Christians today. And if you look at Jesus' sermon, chapter 7, when we get to it, it's all about judgment and about discernment. Chapter 5 that we just finished, what's it about? It's about the relationships and how we perceive others and how we respond to each other. How do we respond to those in a homosexual lifestyle? And then as you look at the hypocritical, that's what we're walking through in chapter 6. Over and over, do not be like the hypocrites. So the three biggest perspectives that the world has of us are the three things Jesus is covering in his sermon about his disciples 2,000 years ago. Does anyone here want to be known as a hypocrite? If you want to be known as a hypocrite, I'd like to meet you. Does anyone here, do we want living stones to be known as, well, they're just a bunch of hypocrites? Is that what we want? Is that what we desire of how others would see us? Because if our motivation for doing what we do, if our motivation for these practices is like the hypocrites, then it says, look at the end of the verse, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. He doesn't say if you do these things. He doesn't say if they're before other people. He says if your motivation is like the hypocrites, then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. And so here is more reason to be honest with ourselves, to actually take some time and actually reflect and say, why are we doing what we're doing? So is everyone convinced that this is applicable? That as we walk through chapter 6, it might be something that we actually deal with. It might be something that we would actually find that we need to deal with in our own hearts. And so I just want to encourage you guys in that, that you would be open to that, that we would think through that as we go through chapter 6. Because what Jesus preached on, what He focused on, we're going to preach and we're going to focus on the same things over the next several weeks as we go through this. It won't be about if we give, if we pray, if we fast. It won't be about how well we give, how well we pray, or how well we fast. It will be about why. Why do we pray? Why do we fast? Why do we give? Why do we do these things? What's the motivation behind that? And do our motivations match our actions? Or are we becoming like hypocrites? All right.
So that's what's coming. You guys are excited now. I mean, that just sounds so uplifting, so encouraging. I know. Trust me, it's good. All right, so today the focus is going to be on giving. Let me read verse 2 through verse 4. I'll read that in English first and then in Spanish. This will be the focus for today, this practice of giving. It says, Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you. So our giving, our caring for the poor, it cannot be in order to, in order to get others' approval. It can't be in order to get our own approval. But it can only be motivated by a desire for God's approval. It can't be done for others' approval. It can't be done for our own approval. But it's done in order for this desire to have God's approval. And first, as we look at that verse 2, thus when you give to the needy. What are we talking about exactly giving to the needy? Who are the needy? Who are the poor? And if you look and understand in this context, in the biblical context, I can tell you clearly it was the poor, the orphan, the widow, and the stranger or the immigrant. Those are the repeated four and how they're described over and over again in the Old Testament. That's what Israel and that's what these Jews would have understood. And as I shared that with Nita, she's like, so what does that mean today? So, let me give you a definition. Currently, those in the world lacking material goods or social capital. They're lacking whether it be financially or materially or socially. Let me give you descriptions of that. It could include, this is not inclusive, but it could include the weak, the elderly, the mentally and physically handicapped. It could include refugees, new immigrants, the working poor. It could include natural disaster victims, the unemployed, single parent families, and orphans. So that gives you a better perspective and think about that in our context and people that would fall into those categories or those classes. It's not exhaustive, but that gives us an idea as we think through this. And so that's who it has in mind when it says when you're giving to the poor. And this idea of giving, it was to bring relief. Right? That we were gonna, they were going to meet the material, they were going to meet those social needs, those physical needs of the poor. They were responding in a way to relieve it. Think about the Good Samaritan, Luke 10. Right? He saw the man on the side of the street. He got involved. He didn't get someone else to do it. He, it was personal. He got involved and he provided that man relief. There was emergency medical treatment he gave him. He gave him transportation. He helped him with rent. He took care of him and he left him there and gave him shelter. When we talk about this giving to the poor, this caring for the poor, this is not giving loose change. 
This is not even writing a check and saying, I'm done with that. It's that we would actually relieve their needs. That we would get involved. And those needs would be met. And look, it's not presented if you give to the poor. Read the passage. In verse 2 it says, when you give to the poor. There's no question about this. It's not saying if you do this. And this was an unquestioned foundational response for those listening to Jesus. And that's how they would have perceived what it meant to follow Jesus and be a disciple. When I give to the poor. When I do this. Not if I do this. But when I do this. And so do we see this the same as Jesus preached it? Because as he shares this practice about giving to the poor, it's right next to and it's actually before praying and fasting. Give to the poor, pray and fast. That's how he shares it. When you do this, when you do that, when you do this. And so do we see that the same way? When we think through caring for the poor, is it in the same light as prayer? Is it in the same light as fasting? Is it in the same light as Bible study? Or is that just some separate secondary thing? Because Jesus didn't separate it. He didn't teach His disciples that, and I don't think that we should separate it, and we should teach differently than that. It's a part of, all of those things are important, but we don't separate them out. And this is just the start, this idea of caring for the poor. I could finish talking today just about that, um, but I'm going to stick to the passage. But if you want more information, if you want to talk through that, just some great resources. Um, One would be to go to chalmers.org, and another great starting point would be an article called The Gospel and the Poor. You can look it up online. It's, uh, It's by Tim Keller. So those would be good resources. I'm not going to go into it today, but if you want to read more and think through that more, those would be great places to do that. And then also, one thing else to think through and understand about this is this ministry to the poor, this caring for the poor, it was very public by its nature. If you get involved, if you go into the ditch and you pull someone out and you walk with them, others are going to see you. Others are going to notice. You can't do this behind the scenes because you're going to get involved and you're going to be a part of it. Okay, so understanding that it it is visible. It's not like you can do this in hiding. But realize that specifically here in this instance, in this situation that Jesus is describing, it's not that you're seen. But what does it say? That we would desire to be praised. That we'd be desired to be praised by others. Because Jesus warns us. He says, Sound no trumpet before you. As the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets. That they may be praised by others. He says, Don't act in a way that draws attention to yourself. As you do this, Don't go out of your way to make others aware of it. Don't make them conscious of your your actions. Don't draw attention or make a scene. Don't blow your horn. (laughs) 
Now, some of you may not have even noticed <laughs> what just happened. Emmanuel blowing his horn, right? I said, who can I get to do that? I'm going to get Emmanuel to do that. <laughs> but do we struggle with that? Any of you guys ever blown your horn? Toot your horn? That's what my grandmother used to say. Why are you tooting your horn? And maybe you wouldn't do it as obnoxiously as Emmanuel just did it. All right? Drawing so much attention to yourself. But maybe you've done it a little more discreetly. A little more indirectly. Just loud enough. Blow it to make sure that people hear. Not draw too much attention, but, but you heard that, right? You heard the little boop. Right? You noticed? Do you guys struggle with that? Maybe it's just me. Maybe you guys don't deal with that. But these hypocrites were drawing attention to themselves. In church, in the synagogue, right? And then also in the streets, in public life. They were going around and they were sending a horn, a trumpet before them to make sure that everyone was alert and everyone was noticing what was about to happen. And maybe for us it's just sharing that little bit of extra information as we have a conversation. When you're talking with someone and you really be nice if they knew how you served or what you did or how you cared for this person and you're having the conversation it doesn't necessarily directly relate to your conversation but you throw it in there. Hope they notice. I was studying this and Matt was texting me and he was telling me he had met with someone and sat down, somebody in the body tell me what he'd done, it had gone great and I go back and I look at my text I'm like, at the end of it I said, thanks for giving me a break from my sermon prep I wanted him to know while he was out meeting with someone well let me just make sure that you know that I was at home studying and preparing my sermon. Okay? I don't want him to think that I was at home, you know, watching a movie, hanging out. No, I'm, hey, I'm preparing a sermon. I just want you to know, I just slid it in there. It wasn't because I was thankful. It was because I wanted to make sure he knew that he was impressed. Wow, Britt is disciplined. He's at home working on his sermon. I didn't want him to get a step ahead of me, so I, I just shared it. Or maybe sometimes I experienced this when we were going through La Luz specifically with the scholarships parts and, and I would be at work and I would have this conversation with somebody at work and somehow, some way, I would awkwardly throw in, oh yeah, we're raising money for 100 kids for scholarships for soccer at Lanark Park. And then I realized, I just threw that in because I wanted them to hear what we were doing. I wanted them to be impressed. I wanted to draw attention to it. Because it's not wrong to share that we're raising money for scholarships for kids in this neighborhood. It's not wrong. It's not wrong to share that. It's not wrong for me to share with Matt that I'm doing sermon prep. But I can be honest with you guys. And in both those situations, I didn't share for the gospel. I didn't share so that the gospel could be made known or so that I could have a present Jesus or, or, or honor Him. I shared because I wanted people to know and I wanted them to be impressed with what I was doing, with what we're doing. That was my motivation. And that's hypocritical. Nobody still? You guys don't struggle with this? Okay. 
Just want to make sure. So why? Why would we do that? Why would we blow our horn out in front of everyone? Or why would we do it quietly? And it's pretty clear that we just want others' praise. We want others to know. We want others to recognize us. We want to be approved by others. And you might say, well, in the church. We're the church, right? And I know in church, I don't need to be approved by others, right? We're approved by Christ. I don't need to seek your approval, and you don't need to seek my approval. And I know that's a, that's a bad word. So we've given this code word that's acceptable. I just want to be appreciated. I've done this. I've done that. I've cared for this person. I just want to be appreciated. And I don't mean that, that, that others would be thankful. Like we should be have gratitude with one another. But it's different than that. It's saying, I want you to recognize and to admire my work. I want you to recognize and admire my efforts. And I want you to recognize and admire my sacrifices when I do this. We can give to folks inside the church. You might have been a part of where we're giving, we're helping this family, we're helping this individual, and you get frustrated because they didn't thank you the way that you thought they should thank you. Or they didn't thank you to the extent that you should have been thanked. They didn't recognize what I had done for them. They didn't appreciate all my efforts, all that I gave to them. As we go into discipleship communities, we're going to have more and more and more opportunities to experience this and figure out, what's my motivation? What's my motivation as I serve this other brother or sister that I'm walking with? Is it in order to be seen, in order to be praised? Am I becoming a hypocrite? We can do that with each other. It says that's what they did in the synagogues. But then it also says they did that in public life. So think about our neighborhood. Maybe we've given and helped somebody and walked with someone in the neighborhood that was in need. And you're like, what? They, they didn't even recognize what we did. I mean, they didn't even... They didn't, we gave this, we gave that, we met with them through the week, and they didn't even show up for Sunday service. I can't believe that. What were they thinking? And we can get so upset and so frustrated on that. Because we want to be appreciated. And I can tell you that appreciation, as you care for the poor, as you serve the poor, appreciation in this neighborhood is rare. All right? But we receive this as the only formal piece of recognition and appreciation I think that we've received. All right? And, and, I, and I don't want to, as I read this, I... I, was, I, I hesitated to share because I, I am thankful for this. Like this means a lot. This this demonstrates a lot of relationships, a lot of time, a lot of what Jesus is doing and giving us favor with the park. Okay, but the park recognized us, and so they gave us this nice, shiny, gold plaque. All right, we're gonna hang it, baby. We're gonna put it on the wall. But I want to read it to you. One, to say thank you, but two, then we'll get back to the passage, okay? To the leaders and congregation of Livingstone's Church, with a sincere gratitude from all of the Lanark staff, we applaud you for your, the exceptional fundraising effort 
that led to the scholarships of over 100 youth participants, making our 2014 Fall Soccer League an overwhelming success. Feels pretty good, right? We got a plaque. It's formal. I mean, we can read that over and over and over again. And they applaud us. I mean, I'm thinking like they're like continually applauding us. Would that really make you feel better? If every time that you gave, if every time that you serve, if there was someone there just applauding you, someone there, here's your plaque. Here's your plaque for doing what you're doing. Here's your plaque for serving. Here's your plaque for giving. Here's your certificate of appreciation for what you're doing. Does that really feel better? Is that what we desire? We can just line them up on the wall. Because if we get that, if that's the result, if that's the thing that we have, and we, we, we have that appreciation, we have that applauding from others, it says in the passage, then that's it. It's over. Look at the rest of verse 2. It says, Truly I say to you, they have received the reward. If we are seeking the applause, the approval of others, and we get it, it's done, it's over. That's the end of our reward. It is temporary. It is brief. It's like a post on Facebook. Oh, I like it, I like it. And then it's just gone. How fast does that change? How fast would their opinions change? The approval goes up, the approval goes down. And is that what we want? Is that what we want to be held to? And so ask yourselves, would that really fulfill me? Would that really fulfill me? Would that encourage me to serve more if I just kept getting plaques or I kept getting approvals or certificates of appreciation? And you may be different than me. You may be okay with, I don't need other people to approve me. Right? I don't need other people doing that. I mean, maybe so the moms in the room, you don't need other people's approval. Uh, the teachers, or I've heard pastors. Right? I mean, these people, my job, your job as a mom is to, is to care for other people. Like you're to be involved in other people's lives and, and don't expect to be appreciated. But you could slide into the trap and say, well, if others aren't going to recognize me, if others aren't going to approve me, I'll just recognize myself. I'll just approve myself. I'll applaud myself. I'll just take my horn and have my own party. Nobody's around. I'm not doing it before others. I'll just toot my horn. I mean, I feel pretty good about what I've done. I want my own approval. And Jesus knows that. Look in verse 3. He says, But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. So just as we acted, he tells us don't act in a way that draws attention, that makes others aware. He's telling us here, don't act in a way as you give to the poor, as you serve, that you would make yourself conscious about it, that you would draw attention to yourself for you. He literally says the left hand doesn't know what the right hand is doing. What does that mean? 
Let me give, let me give you an illustration. During my break, during the holiday, one of the things I was able to do was almost finish the carpet. There's still a section over there. It's a, it's a sore subject between my wife and I. But after I finished the stage, on a Saturday evening, Saturday night, and Matt was preaching the next Sunday, and I was sitting right over here. And during the sermon, I'm sitting there and I'm listening to Matt. And nobody, nobody knew, a couple people knew that I had done it. Nobody had said anything or approved of me. And Matt's preaching and I'm like, that stage, it looks good. I mean, look at the metal trim going around that and, and, and the squares are perfectly lined. Each one in the right angle turned and then turned. You don't understand the pattern that's going on there, okay? And, I am, and, and how trim it is. I mean, and I'm just sitting over here. You guys didn't know it. I was having a party for myself. And then I'm like, oh, what? Matt's preaching. I got to pay attention. Like, and I'm like, no, I'll, I'll put it online. I'll get to listen to it then. I didn't toot my horn before, y'all. I didn't need your approval. I didn't want your approval. I'll just approve myself. You guys keep in your own lists of all the things that you've done for others, for the church, for the neighborhood. Nobody's thanked me. I'll just start thanking myself. I'll just approve myself. And it's very clear in this passage that we're not to seek the approval of others. But as you look at this verse, my left hand not knowing what my right hand doing, if your left hand truly doesn't know what your right hand is doing, can you clap for yourself? Can you approve yourself? You can't. But how can we not be self-conscious about what we're actually doing? How does that work for the right hand to do something the left hand not to know what's going on. I mean, are we supposed to, to give, have no idea how much we give or have no idea how we give? Are we not supposed to plan out our giving and decide how we're going to do that or how we're going to serve? Based on teaching before, I would tell you that's not biblical. That's not what the Bible teaches. I mean, how is it possible to do that without knowing? How is it possible for you to do something? I mean, maybe, even in that sense, maybe you can write a check without knowing, but I don't know that I've ever written a check. I've ever, if you've written a check and you didn't know that you wrote a check, I mean, come see me and I'll help you write checks, okay? But has anyone ever done that? Have you ever done anything that you actually don't know that you're doing? So I think that it doesn't mean that we're supposed to do it without intention. It doesn't mean that we're going to do it with no knowledge of what we're doing. But I think that it means that as soon as we give, as soon as we give, then we forget. As soon as we give, as soon as we do this, then I forget. I forget about what I've just done. I'm not keeping a record. My record is not short-term. My record is not long-term about what I've done for others. I do it, I give, I serve, and it's done. I forget about it. My left hand doesn't know what my right hand is doing. I can tell you, at Livingstones, we don't 
um, we don't take an offering, right? We receive an offering. But we don't take an offering. And there's intention behind that. There's an intention, that the reason that we don't stop the service and stop everything that's going on. And I've even been in churches that say, raise up your offering. Wave it around for all to see because we're coming down and you're going to give your offering and tries to get everybody excited about giving. No, there's a box in the back. As you come, as you go, drop in your offering. We're not going to blow a trumpet about it. We're not going to make a scene about it. Is it biblical to give? Is it biblical to bring an offering? Absolutely. But we're not going to make a scene. But we can make all of those arrangements, be intentional about that, and yet with our motivation, with our hearts, we can still ruin it. You can walk to the box. You can think about, well, I gave this month and that month and two weeks ago and counting it up in your head and now you've got your chart that's in your head and the little star stickers that you just put up. Gave again. Gave again. Red star, blue star. What color star do you want? Or you can look around and, well, I'm going to wait till there's a lot of people over there and I'll go drop it while there's a lot of people over there. Since we don't make it an event, you know, I hope that others will notice that I'm giving and will appreciate that. But instead, you come in, you plan, you prepare, you're intentional about it, you would drop it in the box, and as soon as you drop it in the box, you continue to walk on and you forget about it. You're not looking for others to notice, you're not keeping a record for yourself, but that's it, it's done, it's over. Can you give to others without keeping a record? No strings attached. Can we do that? Can you do that as you serve in the church? Can we do that as we care for others in this neighborhood? Can you do that with your family? With your spouse? Can you do that with your kids? Can you do that with your roommate? Can you do that with your co-workers? Or do you want something back? Their recognition or even my own recognition. Because Jesus says that if we give without acting, without acting in a way that we want others to be aware, without acting in a way where we make ourselves more aware, He says you are actually, as it says in the passage, verse 4, it says, so that your giving may be in secret. If we do that, where we're not bringing and making people more aware. We're not making ourselves more aware. We're actually giving. We're serving in secret. That's what it would look like. And again, I'm like, secret? How do you serve in secret? What does that look like? Okay? It's not behind the scenes. It's not so that no one else knows. But I think it's that you give in a way that doesn't make more of you. You give in a way that makes more of Christ. That's what it would look like to be in secret. Like, well, that's great, Britt. That sounds really good, but what would that look like practically? And I think it would be that we would give and we would serve, as it's talking about here to the poor, that we would do that so regularly, so consistently. It would become so common. That's just a part of what we do. It's what we do every day. It's what we're always about. We're always participating in that. It becomes so common that no one even notices. It's just what we do. I don't even notice. It's just like second nature. 
We're so consistent. We're so regular. It's just a part of what we do. It's our practice as we are a part of this kingdom. When we ride in the van for a long time with four kids, that's how, we, have an, we have an hour mark that if it's beyond an hour, and sometimes, of course, we go below the hour, but most of the time we stick to the hour. If it's an hour or more, the kids can watch a DVD. All right? And we were going to Ontario a week and a half ago or so, in Ontario, California, Inland Empire, not, not Canada. All right? So it, just, it was just over that hour limit. <clears throat> and on the way back, the kids want to watch this DVD. It's called Hachi. And it's this movie about a dog. I have never actually even watched it. I've listened to it, you know, a hundred times as we've been in the van from the front seat. But every time that the kids watch this movie, you turn around time after time after time again. You turn around, and there's not a lot of dialogue in the movie, right? It's, it's about a dog. But this dog is, you know, is interacting with humans, and all of a sudden you look back, and all four of my kids are in their seats, and tears are just streaming down their faces, and they're just crying about Hachi. And, uh, and you're like, are you guys okay? I'm okay. All of them, every time. They're always crying. It, it, it just tears them up. I still haven't watched it. I don't want to cry. And so we're coming home this week, or this, this last time. And we look back, and there's always this joke amongst them, right? Are you going to cry? Who's going to cry? Who's going to cry first? Is anybody going to be able to not cry? And my son goes, I didn't cry. <laughs> It's like I've seen this movie so many times, I wasn't even emotional. So what? The dog dies. It's common to me. It's normal to me. We've seen this a hundred times. I don't even notice it anymore. That's how we should be about caring and serving. It's not some super amazing, oh my gosh, I can't believe what just happened and what we just did. No, this is what we do. It wouldn't be extra special. It would be normal. We would do it in secret. When you stop giving, everyone notices. And when you give, no one notices. Does that make sense? That's what it would look like. Every time I give, no one notices because I'm giving all the time. I'm serving all the time. When I stop giving, everybody realizes, everybody notices. That's what it would look like if we were giving in secret. And so Jesus tells us, beware. As we do these things, as we have these practices, beware. Take caution, be on alert. This is not something that we think about once. It's something that's ongoing. We focus on this, we consider this. And we should beware of our motivations. We should beware, are we seeking to be praised by others or are we seeking to be even praised by ourselves? Because if we're not, it says as it finishes there, it says in the Father, your Father who sees in secret, He will reward you. You don't have to blow your horn and make others conscious. You don't have to keep your own record. But you can be sure that's what, what is done in secret, He will notice. He won't forget. 
And it says he will, will reward you. And we'll talk more about that in the coming weeks. You'll, you'll see that again, reward, reward. What does that mean? We'll talk about that. But it's good. I promise it's good. You can give without being noticed by others because he will notice you. You can give without being appreciated by others because he will recognize what you do. And you can give and forget because what you do will not slip his mind. He sees in secret. So are you a hypocrite? Are we a bunch of hypocrites? We honestly have to answer that question. We have to ask ourselves, why? In order to what? Why are we caring for the poor as we move through the next weeks? Why do we pray? Why do we fast? Does our motivation match our actions? Are we practicing, serving, and giving for others? Are we practicing and serving for giving for ourselves? Or are we doing it for God? That makes all the difference. 